if you know 2 Timothy 3, it's about the last days. We know that uh, we live in the last days, and really the desire is look forward to his return. What is going to take place? And I know that I've spoken with different individuals, and as we look at it, um, every, um, I have a friend in Bible college who is a big prophecy guy. And, uh, you know, looking, he sends me all, this, all these things about the mark of the beast and looking at, you know, we think about viruses and vaccines and what's going to take place. And it really gives us a picture. But we also believe that, uh, you know, believers will be taken out. But it gives us a picture to really be grateful, but also to think about what, how quickly information, how quickly people will turn and look to, to an antichrist. But please follow along as I read. It says, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful and proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people, for among them they are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I appreciate it. And uh, really, the, the title of the message this morning is, Are You Focused on What is Important? Are you focused on what is important? And uh, let me just give you an um, illustration. There was a farmer, Farmer Brown was in an accident, and he decided his injuries were serious enough to sue the trucking company responsible for the wreck. He had been hurt in a terrible car crash that took the life of his beloved mule. The company's expensive lawyer thought there was no way a simple farmer could defeat the resources of a massive corporation, but the farmer wasn't fearful of him. In the courtroom, the company's fancy lawyer interrogated Farmer Brown, asking him, didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Brown said, well, I'll tell you what happened. I had just loaded my favorite mule, Susie, into the, I didn't ask for any details, the lawyer interrupted, just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Brown replied, as I was saying, I had, I had just gotten Susie into the trailer and I was driving down the road. 
Again, the lawyer cut him off and said, Judge, I'm trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrolman on the scene that he was fine. Now, several weeks later, after the accident, he is trying to sue my client. I believe he is a fraud. Please tell him to answer the, simply answer the question. By this time, the judge was fairly interested in Farmer Brown's answer, and he said to the lawyer, I'd like to hear what he has to say. Farmer Brown thanked the judge and proceeded. Well, as I was saying, I had just loaded Susie into the trailer and was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck and trailer ran the stop sign and smacked my truck right in the side. I was thrown into one ditch and Susie was thrown into the other. I was hurting real bad and I didn't want to move. He continued, however, I could hear old Susie moaning and groaning. I knew she was in terrible shape just by her groans. Shortly after the accident, a patrol car came to the scene. He could hear Susie too, and he went over to her and checked her out and looked at her, and then he took out his gun and shot her between the eyes. Then the patrolman came across the road with his gun in his hand and looked at me and said, your mule was in such bad shape I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? <laughs> Farmer Brown looked right at the lawyer and said, now what would you say? But uh, understanding is that, uh, you know, the lawyer was trying to distract and uh, gets the Farmer Brown to respond in the way he wanted. But, you know, others may try to distract us from our spiritual context, but we must remember that we have been given a task to complete. So follow along as I read in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. It says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth it gives to us. And as we examine the scriptures this morning, I pray that your spirit might guide us and direct us. And thank you for the privilege we have to learn more about you through your word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So to give you some background on 2 Timothy and uh, the emphasis here of doing the work of an evangelist or even understanding the call to ministry for Timothy. As you go to the next slide, this was the last letter after Titus. A lot of people don't realize that Titus was written before 1 Timothy, but it's in different order in our, our New Testament. But it, it actually goes... 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy in chronological order. But this was written while Paul was in prison by Nero, and Paul understood that death was near. That's why they call these the prison epistles. And here, Timothy, 
being a young pastor at Ephesus. And Timothy was probably in his mid-30s, and this was when elders and pastors were usually much older. If you remember, he talks about the gray hair and uh, being older. But Timothy was Paul's protege, and there's an urgent tone to this. And as we look at here in verse 2, there are five commands. In the Greek, they're imperatives that um, stress the urgency, the tone of you need to do this, a command. And then verse 3 and 4 gives an explanation for verse 2, explains what's taking place. And then in verse 5, there's another four commands. So as we continue on, let's look at this. And usually I pass out notes, but I decided not to this week just because of everything going on. But we'll get back to that so you have those notes. But if you're taking notes, you'll be able to follow along. Because the first thing we want to look at here is that a Christian has a priority to Christ. A Christian has a priority to Christ. Most people would say that makes sense because you're a Christian, and even the word means little Christ. But here the application is because as we know that this is given to pastors, given to specifically to um, Timothy from Paul. And as it says in verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. We see here this charge is not referring to credit cards, is not referring to anything else as we look at, but this is a charge that gives a command that says, here, I want you to take this. This is, you're undertaking a commitment, something very serious. And it's given, it's important for all spiritual leaders. He's given these five commands for the ministry, and the verb forms emphasize this urgency to take action. If you think about action, maybe you have some kids who like to sleep in. Maybe you have, you know, motivating others. Maybe it's a, a coworker or employees or anyone's. Sometimes it's hard to get them going. Think of you know, the Calvary charge. And, uh, but this here, first of all, the imperative we see is preach the word. Preach the word. And on the next slide we see is that preach the word. This has a priority in position because it is clarified in the next statement. And it comes from the Greek and it means to herald, to shout it out. Think of, if you think of the Calvary, the one going forth and shouting, hey, or if you think of the, um, the Revolutionary War, who was the one who went ahead and said the British are coming? Paul Revere, okay, the famous midnight ride. See, sorry, kids, you still have school, even though you're out. But understand, going forward and looking at this, it, it has that picture of the herald proclaiming aloud and publicly. It's not just going somewhere hidden saying, hey, by the way, you know, it's a brother or sister who, who goes and says, um, dinner's coming. And, you know, they, the child gets in trouble because they didn't come to dinner. Well, I told them, you know, but they didn't announce it. They didn't yell it through the house. Or you have the opposite, those who yell everything through the house. And they're yelling, what? What did you say? But Harold, proclaiming loud and publicly. In regards to pastors preaching to a congregation and any spiritual leader publicly announcing and teaching the word. But the application is for believers and as we think about evangelism, evangelism must take place with our mouths. I know that's become very common and people say, you know what, I'm living evangelism. It's true. You need to live your testimony out. But there also comes a time where we must be able to communicate what we believe and what has occurred. 
to speak about the death, the burial, the resurrection. Otherwise, they'll think we're just good moral people. And maybe people say, oh, you're such a, a good person. Well, what, what distinction do you have then from someone of the LDS or, or other religious backgrounds? But the motivation, the understanding is to be able to communicate, maybe through your own testimony or the words of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And that produces a change. I'm not saying you don't you have to do it to every person you meet. Hi, how are you doing? You know, I have faith in Jesus Christ and I and I did this and you should believe too. You know, if you do that to every person you come into contact with, you know, they're going to be see you as a little bit of extreme. But my point is that you need to be ready, you need to be able to communicate that and look for an opportunity of how you can do that and not be fearful. And as we look at being being able to share Christ, proclaiming the gospel with our mouths. It reminds us of, of Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God to raise them from the dead. You shall be saved for with the heart. You know, and with the mouth, confession is made. And it's important for us to understand that confession is made with the mouth. The preaching and teaching of the whole word of God must take place by believers. And the priority of God's ministry and looking at evangelism as he has given the mandate to all. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Lo, I'm with you always. And it is important to understand that, you know, as we announce and share with them the gospel, it doesn't just stop there. There is a teaching. There's a discipling process. There's some who just will teach and share the gospel. Okay, here you go. You're, you're saved. You said the words, but sometimes they don't understand. Sometimes they just said it because they wanted you off their back and preach the word. But the emphasis is upon that command. But here is the other. As the emphasis is, if we think about the context of Timothy, a young individual, and remember in the context it talks about being timid. You know, not everyone is, is born to be an evangelist. Sometimes evangelists are like the car salesmen of the ministry. And that's not necessarily the goal. The idea of the evangelist is simply to proclaim the gospel. Sometimes we have the concept that the evangelist comes to church, he arrives in a trailer, uh, pull behind trailer, you know, they all play different instruments, and, uh, you know, they have lots of kids, and then they sing, and, and they bang on the pulpit. That's not the concept here, the evangelist of simply one who can communicate and share the gospel. And then the, the emphasis is upon here at number two is not only preaching the word, but be instant in season and out of season. And that is an older word as we think about it, translate to the Greek. If we were to understand, be instant. Okay, I think instantly of what? Instant, in an instant. Instant ramen noodles, instant soup, instant what? But the instant equals an urging or pressing. And the verse emphasizes the need to preach the word when it is convenient and when it is, isn't convenient. You know, it's easy to share the gospel with someone who is listening, who is ready to share the gospel, who is ready to listen. But, you know, it is hard to share the gospel with someone or in an environment when you're busy. You know, when... When maybe you're on the phone with someone who has a spiritual need and, you know, you have kids and you have all these things to do and it's like, okay, wait a second. Or maybe you're working on a project 
If you're a project-driven or task-driven person, sometimes you want to complete the project, and maybe someone is, has some spiritual questions, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll get to you in a minute. I've got to finish this because you want to see that done. Or sometimes when our emotions are stressed, whether it be you know, finances or we're going through, um, have car problems, Maybe God had you, your car break down, and you're frustrated because why am I broke down here? And someone comes along to help. And that is the opportunity that God has given to you. But you're so focused on, on fixing the car and the million things you have to do and calling AAA or uh, calling the tow truck. But that's how we are, humanly speaking. I mean, I can relate to that because you, you get frustrated. But here the text says, when it is convenient and when it isn't convenient. What is our priority? And when we always have the mind of Christ, when we're thinking about the spiritual issues, when we think about the work of Christ, every event in our life is known by God and the circumstances. But here, as we see, it is important to understand that when our circumstances are favorable and unfavorable to us. The word implies being ready or at the task. We must not let our circumstances dictate our ability to share the gospel. During this COVID-19 times, it, we have been separated. And I know that different people have said, hey, we've been, had the opportunity to share the gospel um, via different services or in different ways or calls. It's been interesting to see family, more families out walking and spending time together. We live in a very busy society. But, you know, the prayer is that during these times as people begin to share their stories. You know, I was in line for six hours trying to get toilet paper, you know, and then, you know, all of a sudden the truck came. You know, funny stories people have. But the whole point is, is that we've all been in it together. And as we discuss, as we begin to interact with others to hear stories of, of what God is doing, we have the privilege to be able to share, guess what God has provided? And what have we learned? How can we point others to Christ through these stories? Being ready, in season, out of season. And then the word is reprove or some have convince. And it could be either word because there are two parts to this word. First, it means to identify error and to change it or them. And it's referring to doctrinal error. Here, but when there's an, a, an error to convince them to change. And the hard part is, is that if you were get into a discussion, and far be it from me, one thing we don't do here is I don't preach politics from the pulpit. I don't think that's a place. My goal is to preach the word of God. You can take the application. I might have my own. But to understand is very divisive. There are very issues that are divisive. I will preach what the word of God says and important and I think that is the important thing. You can take your own, but understand here that we, we take a stand for biblical scriptural principles. And then we apply them to our lives. But there's issues that people have and that they adhere to and they hold to. And granted, people disagree, and that has become commonplace. But to be able to listen to one another, to have discussion. You know, it's okay for people to disagree. There's lots of things that we disagree. I've talked about it before. You know, some of you don't like kimchi. You know, what's wrong with you? you know, or some of you don't like other foods, seafood. And I say, God bless you. You don't like seafood? That's great. We could go out to eat, and I'll eat yours. 
but to understand there, there are differences in agreement. Some of you like snow. You know, I grew up in upstate New York, and they were getting snow last week. Um, but, but disagreement is okay. But as we come down to it, understanding as we're talking about this, this word uh, reprove or convince, to understand when it comes to a doctrinal truth, and this is doctrinal truth where there is an error, where there's understanding. There's some people who will never change their mind because they're so set in their ways. And it takes humility to understand. But it isn't just one issue. There are those who try to find truth and say, okay, this person believes in the truth so um, that this is, this is true and so you have to believe them. And they'll find someone. But they don't look at the data. They don't look at what truly is truth and gather information and the process. And when it comes to spiritual truth, you, you can ask people, okay, do you believe this? Well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, you know, if you believe that God wrote it and it is the word of God, it, it contains truth. Well, too many people copied it. Well, let's look at that. If we were to follow that logic, well, I don't have time to read the Bible. Oh, there's the real issue. You don't want to read it. It's because you don't, you don't believe it. It's not because of the copying. There's an underlying issue. And so as we look at what truth is, here to convince them of what truth is. And sometimes we want to forcefully force people to believe. Believe this truth or you're grounded. Believe this truth or you're, you're going to uh, face these consequences. But that's not necessarily the best way either. To convince people, to understand, to provide truth. Sometimes it takes a while, but the whole point is to emphasize that here is truth and to convince them of that. And it doesn't say immediately, but convince them by sharing. And above all, as believers, as we read the word of God, first of all, you need the, spirit, the Holy Spirit residing in you to be able to know truth. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of truth. It helps us to understand what is truth. And, and as we read of the word of God, it can change our hearts. It will convict us of sin. And here, as we look at the reprove, convince this opponent or one in the church with an incorrect doctrine. And as we look at even beforehand, as I read through earlier, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, teaching what is right. And then what is next? As we look at it, it says, profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That's what's wrong. For correction. Correction is to take what's wrong and make it right. And then for instruction in righteousness, to take what's right and keep it right. Did you know that we can't just say, okay, I, I, know that I read the Bible once, I got it all. Or even in driving. If we were to just drive once and say, okay, I got it, I don't need to drive anymore. I learned it. The experiences that we face, maybe you haven't driven in snow, maybe you haven't driven with wild animals. You continue to learn and take what you um, experience and it becomes part of your learning process at a job. Um, if you've worked at a job, you understand that there are changes that are taking place, instruction. Um, and as we experience in life, whether it be fixing a house or, or taking care of vehicles, things change and you have to keep up in information. But here, as we look at it, it is important because that instruction in righteousness. And so it is important for us to look at how to convince, to convince. It, it really comes about through the, the word of God, but continue to share truth with them and praying for them, but also reprove. And that is 
the second part of that. But let me back up just for a moment where as we look at the convincing, the change of direction, think about the word repentance, a change of direction. There must be a change of direction, otherwise the error will occur again or even more to a serious degree. If we think about uh, finances, some people just want to put a Band-Aid over it. But, you know, it, it'll just become more serious later. And when it comes to the spiritual error, in order to be found spiritually, sometimes one must realize they are lost. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to understanding what the gospel says, there's a lot of good moral people who will never come to Christ because they think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as these other individuals. But they don't understand that it doesn't matter how moral you are. Positionally, you are lost. You are without Christ. You are an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. And so secondly, coming into this word as convince or reprove, it includes correcting one who is continuing in sin. Maybe um, if you've ever been one of those parents or, or those parents you see who say, sometimes stop it, stop it, stop it. I'll count to 10. You know, stop it. And the child knows right where to go, the line. Stop it, stop it. It's like because the boundaries. And then sometimes, you know, the boundaries change or as we, as we try to measure boundaries or re release them. But a single correction is often insufficient and does not prevent future error. Think about the employees. There's always that one employee who tries to push the limit and they'll break it. And then what happens as we think about corporate policy or any company policy, you know, there's one person who's breaking the company policy. And so what the, the company does is instead of just correcting that individual, they'll just change the policy so that everyone is hampered and it becomes a challenge for everyone. But here, as we look at, a single correction is insufficient and does not prevent future error. And that's where it says reprove, rebuke. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to continue teaching to prevent error. Parents, teachers, spiritual leaders must not just view obedience exclusively as spiritual submission to God. Okay, they obeyed in this area. But it's a heart issue. And correcting external behaviors does not always help people identify the root of sin that lies in the heart. Sin must be dealt with quickly and in love. And if it is left unattended, it's going to create a greater problem later. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5. But the emphasis is upon identifying the error or sin. Next word we look at is rebuke. For us, we think about a rebuke as a verbal rebuke. I've been rebuked, you know, and yelled at and said that you've done wrong. But really, the rebuke, it, it means in the original language, is to prevent an action or bring it to an end. We often think of the word verbal rebuke. You received a rebuke. But Timothy is to tell those who are doing wrong and to bring it to an end. When we teach others, whether they be children, staff, disciples, we need to teach prevention rather than just rigid regulation. And so that's why we teach the scriptures, to know what is right, know what is wrong. That's why it's important, discipleship. Oftentimes in our churches, there isn't discipleship, true discipleship that is taking place. You know, this is right, this is wrong. This is how we go through it. Now, understanding context, but the challenge is that what takes place in rebuking is that it's not just simply don't do it. It's okay to ask why. 
I remember being in a church and, you know, hey, I have doubts about uh, the authenticity of the New Testament. And he was in church, this young man, college student, and the pastor just said, too bad, this is what you have to believe. And he wasn't given any explanation. And that really troubled him because he thought, I can't ask questions. Did you know there's some difficult issues in the Bible? But it's okay to ask questions. They're not always the best answers on either side. But we can understand that there is truth. And as we move forward, but rebuking is more than just simply, hey, stop that. Don't believe that. That's wrong. And one educates with preparation. The other demands without understanding. Then if disobedience or insubordination takes place, it's dealt with immediately. The priority is to stop the doctrinal error. And this within the church, you can't just allow someone who's teaching doctrinal error. That's where it needs to be cut off. It needs to be addressed. But so often those doctrinal errors start under the surface and uh, it becomes spread. But it, it applies as we think about it. Think about how quickly error spreads in our society. And I don't want to get into too many things. We know we're living through different times. And uh, there's challenges. And how do we deal with, and even within the church, you know, how to address others who believe differently than us when it comes to some of these issues? Should we force our opinion upon them? Should we say, you know what, you're crazy? You know, that's where some of the grace is. What is the priority, the issue? How do we help one another? But when it comes to spiritual issue, when it comes to a scriptural issue, there's we're going to dress directly. So the, the other part, number five, is exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The urging, pleading, qualified by patience for the person, not the sin. And long suffering refers to people, while patience refers often to circumstances. And the urging is to be based upon the correct teaching of the word. Most of us don't have true patience. I mean, being cooped up for this time has been challenging. Because within our nature is to be with other people, to interact. And some of us, we get frustrated because of the situation, because we lose control. And here, as we understand, is these are exhorting with all long-suffering and doctrine, teaching people. But you know what? People won't always believe. Sorry, the air conditioning is snapping that short. People will not always believe spiritual truth right away. Sometimes we think, well, why don't you believe that? I've known it since I was young. But people are at different point in their spiritual lives. I, um, I was trying to explain to someone once, and it was think about a journey. Think about if we were going to take a trip to Florida from here. Some would say, I'll take a, a jet. That's the fastest way. Some might drive. But guess what? They might take a circuitous route. They might stop in Tennessee and then go, then go south. Some might take a long journey and just enjoy their trip there. You know, some would be like, okay, you got, you got 15 minutes to get a snack, to go to the bathroom, then we're back in. Okay, we're going to make this in 14 or 24 and a half hours, okay? And so, you know, everyone gets in. It's kind of like there was a family who had gone camping. And what happened is they arrived at the campsite and everyone um, started being busy as ants. One started getting the tent stakes in. Another was gathering all the food. One was going to grab firewood brush. 
an observer said to the father, wow, I can't believe how efficient your family is in putting up the campsite. I said, yeah, they can't use the bathroom until they're all done. And so it just, uh, some of those who stress the efficiency of, of trying to get everything finished. But you know, different people are going to take different routes. Maybe someone wants to ride their bike. Maybe someone's gonna walk. There are different paths and patterns and not one is right. In the spiritual journey, in our relationship with Christ, it's individual, and what often happens is we compare ourselves to other people. Oh, look, they're not as spiritual as me, or look what they're doing. I can't believe that. But don't get distracted by looking at those around us. You know, the, the priority is Christ, and when we look at him, we see our own selves as in need. And here, the ex exhortation in long-suffering and teaching and when you train, when you teach, when you invest in others to help them spiritually, they're at different points. They gather information differently. Um, There's a seminary professor who was talking about how he was trying to exegete a passage to his students and explain to them these, why um, this theological point was true. And he goes through all these uh, different uh, scriptures. And you know he did a great job. And most of the scholars would say, you know, that was spot on. And he goes, well, show me something else. And so he, he goes to this other text or says something, and he goes, oh, now I'll believe it. And it's just different people need different things in order to understand Scripture. And so we have to be patient with them. But to understand, we must remember that it is the Spirit of God that works in us through the preaching of the Word of God to bring about positive change. And it's not about the power of positivity but it's the Holy Spirit that helps us because often in order to be positive, you've got to go through something negative. You know, Christians are going to face persecution. And, you know, there are some believers who, who are living in New York and California in other states who churches that are facing really religious persecution. And as the days move forward, it's going to be more difficult and deciding where we believe on different issues. But above all, you know, unless the government, if the government tells us to contradict what the Word of God says as a mandate, then you know what? We're going to uh, live with the, the truth of the Word of God. And here in Arizona, they, they simply said, they, at any point, never said we didn't meet. And we, we, we weren't sure what it was. We wanted to really say willingly, sometimes give up our rights. Hey, health-wise, we want to be careful. And we want to protect also the testimony of the church. But we see here, next thing is not only will, must we obey the directives as far as a Christian has a priority to Christ, we must, number two, we must obey the directives seen in verse two. But number three, people will turn away. There are those within the church who probably won't come back. There's some who, who just turn away because, oh, they found someone else. And it says in verse 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And doctrine, remember, simply means teaching. Sound teaching, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. Now, itching ears, if you think about an itch, and, you know, um, I think about, I had a cousin who was in the Marines, and he had to be on a duty, and they were taught, you know, you can't move, even if there's an insect or anything going around you, because you could give away your position to the enemy. 
But you ever thought about that? You know, you're still in itching ears and you want to scratch it. Maybe it's a hair touching you if you're really sensitive to that and you just want to scratch it, you can't help it. The, that's the picture here of the itching ears as you want to go and listen to someone else or something else and they're teaching and they heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There's a lot of individuals who are animatic who can, who can speak and some of them... You know, they have large congregations, large resources, and they'll tell you many things what you want to hear. But the danger is they've led many people astray. Their, their preaching is not focused upon the Word of God, upon who Christ is. And that's why here at Grace Baptist Church, we want to really emphasize, read the Word of God. Go through. If you have questions, ask the questions and understand. But to read it in its context and to teach it and to know the Word of God. And to, and to realize, you know, there are other people who are going to turn away from it. Maybe they don't like the truth. And here they will ignore the truth. It says that people will be led what they want to hear and believe. If they do not find it, they're going to create it themselves. The emphasis is upon turning away their ears. This implies that they've heard the truth. Oh, I hear the truth, but I don't like it. So I'm going to go over here, see what they have to say. And they have to say. You ever notice how that works? You know, you're looking for common agreement. But it's important because now they are turning to other false beliefs. And that content is more important than their method of delivery or the person. And that is, for the believer, important, the content. So number four, we must not become distracted. Adult attention deficit disorder. You know, it is a thing. You know, we get distracted like, where's the squirrel? Things going on. But here, Paul explains and says, but. But should be, if you think about but you, the contrast within other verses. But you, Timothy, watch thou in all things. Watchful. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Be well balanced and self-controlled. Our testimony before God is the single most important asset that we possess in order to be a ministry before others, believers and non-believers. Watch in all things. Be careful. Endure afflictions. Bear hardships patiently. It is our response to difficult circumstances that are going to be seen by others. Did you know sometimes difficult circumstances aren't just to aggravate us, to frustrate us, because that's often very easily occurring. But sometimes it's a testimony for others. Do the work of an evangelist. And here's where it is to announce the gospel with the intent that the hearers believe in Jesus Christ. We need to be able to do that. Did you know that each of you are different? You speak differently. Maybe sometimes you have an accent. Maybe sometimes you don't. But the vocabulary you use how you share with others, the experiences. You each have the ability to share Christ with others in your own unique way. And that is part of the experiences that God has given to you. And you must be able to articulate it deliberately how to share the gospel. Maybe it's through your own testimony. Maybe it's through a story that you have. But to be able to do that, that God has given to you. If someone were to put you on the spot, could you be able to do it? 
Any established church or any seasoned believer must not lose sight of the need to share the gospel with others. How are you using your gifts and talents to help bring others to Christ? And it shouldn't be like a notch in the belt. There's some who believe, well, it's a notch in the belt. Look, I have, I, I shared Christ and, you know, 15 people came to Christ. Well, are they being discipled? Are they followed up? Do they understand? Because sometimes we tell people, believe this. Okay, I'll believe that, but they've not even repented. They haven't turned from their sins. So they, okay, I'll just add it to what I already believe. And that's what happened uh, in the Word of God. Sometimes it's like, oh, you know, I believe this already. Well, I can believe this too, and that's okay. That's how the modern Christianity has kind of come to Christ. Rather, they've tried on Christ, but they really haven't, haven't changed their lifestyle. They haven't understood what it means to be forgiven. We should have a deliberate mindset of prayer for unsaved friends and relatives and the willingness to daily question how we can be used to share Christ with others. I would encourage you as a tangible method or a tangible act is to really create a, a prayer list of unsaved because that really helps you to remember. I know those who have unsaved family members, unsaved loved ones, you know, have them, but also have someone else and pray for them because the more you pray for them, the more they'll be on your mind, but you have a mindset of they really need Christ because when you focus on them, guess what? You'll start to see other people and it helps us to remember that, hey, there's someone who needs Christ. Just take a moment. I know that in sometimes in congregation, audience participation, but just if you will, who is someone in your life who needs Christ? Do you know someone who needs Christ? Go ahead. What's the name? What's the name? My sister, Leslie. Leslie. What's his name? Raymond. Raymond. Leslie. Raymond. Mato. Just Ronnie Lee. Just names. What it holds? Daniela. Carmen. Louie. When you put a name with a person, you know, otherwise, oh, that's, that's name. It becomes a little more specific. And I encourage you just to write it down. Pray for it. Put it in a prominent place. Maybe they say, what's, that, what's my name doing up there? Oh, just... You know, people, some people are praying for you, you know, to understand what it means to be forgiven, to be able to help them to get lost because sometimes they don't realize that or to just put a little mindset in there. Oh, you know, we have people praying for you. Oh, why are they praying for me? Just to know who Christ is. What's that mean? Then finally, make full proof of thy ministry. Fully and completely accomplish all the ministries that you have been given. Did you know each of you, not only do you have unique gifts and talents and abilities, you have a purpose in life. And that is what the blessing is of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter, young person, older person, you're here, you're living. God has given you unique opportunities and unique calling. Maybe it's to be a blessing to your parents through your obedience. Maybe it's a blessing to share with a friend who needs Christ. Maybe it's to simply grow in your faith to understand. Maybe God is preparing you now for something in the future. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're older and you're wondering, how can God use me? Maybe through some of the challenges that you're facing, God has called you to be a witness and example to the medical people, to others. And I know often I've said before, you know, we, when we face trials or temptation, we're like, God, no, me, make it someone else who's more spiritual. Let it happen to them. But God knows what he's doing. And he has a plan and purpose specifically for you. The question is, how will we respond in such a way that honors him, but also can communicate that 
this is something that can be a opportunity to share the gospel. How can we verbalize that? And then finally, verse 6 and 7. Paul is communicating. He's in prison. He's near his death. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to also who has loved his appearing. This is great. We, we learned that, guess what? It's not just for Paul who, who has gone through all these difficulties, being bitten by a snake, shipwrecked, left for dead, escaped all these different persecutions, but for all who have loved his appearing. Kept the faith literally means preserved in the faith. The faith has defined his life and he's been preserved through it. The crown of righteousness makes reference to athletic games but is not only achieved by Paul, but by all who love or, a better word would be, long for his appearing. So let me ask you today as we finish up, what is your focus today? Are you looking ahead to the return of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're distracted with all the worldly distractions around us. Or you've been affected by past excuses that have prevented you from fulfilling your purpose as a believer. Today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you're to die today and not know for sure that you would go to heaven, I'd pray today would be the day that you come to understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can lead a life of purpose. You can have that fulfillment of knowing. But if you already know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, are you fulfilling the ministry, the specific ministry that God has given you? Each of us have been given a mandate, a specific ministry. Not only just in the church, but even in your life. Kind of like, here is your charge. Here are your battle orders. Guess what? There might be someone coming into your life this week who you could have the opportunity to share Christ with. Are you ready? No matter what stage of life you're in, God is not finished with you yet. The time is short. Start today by serving Christ in the ministry that he has given to you. And I'd encourage you in, in the last slide in saying, make a plan to use your spiritual gifts to share Christ with others. Shall we pray?